Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that you're joining with us here again on our services as we continue. I was really excited about our past series, the Unity series, the One Prayer Niagara, and being able to work with Southridge and with Bethany. Uh, I just think it's really beautiful when churches and Christians come together, where we recognize that there are differences in each of our communities, but we seek to actually work past those differences or actually work with those differences to make this world a better place. So I was really glad to be able to join in with that. And today we're starting a brand new series about called What Comes Next? And really the whole idea with this series is just this. How do we actually follow Jesus in our everyday regular life? Like what comes next? Not just on a Sunday, but on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That for August, what we want to discover is how can you find and follow Jesus in your everyday life? You know, you're wondering what to cook life. You know, you're breaking up fights with kids life. The how much screen time is too much time kind of questions that you might have. Or whatever it is that your daily routine looks like. What we want to take a look at is how do you find Jesus in the midst of that? Because can we just be honest with this, right? Jesus is a part of your life, amen? Like whether you're seeing him or experiencing him, what we believe, what we attest to theologically is that Jesus is all around you and within you and a part of you, that if you're a follower of him, like he actually lives in you. So how do we become more aware of him? How do we become more aware of his presence and his guidance? That's what we want to talk about over the next few weeks is just how can we follow him deeper and better in our everyday, regular, ordinary uh, lives that we are living. And to begin with that, I want to share with you one practice that for me, that for me has absolutely altered how I follow Jesus. That for me has made me more present to Jesus than I ever thought possible. That for me has actually made my marriage better, has made me better as a parent, and has just made me better as a human being. It is something that I think we all can be a part of. And I want to talk to you today about the practice of Sabbath. Now, when I say the word Sabbath, I imagine that there are a few different reactions, right? Because this is the practice that for me has helped me to grow closer to Jesus and to see him in my everyday life more than ever before. But I think for some of you, when as soon as I say the practice of Sabbath, some of you, your reaction just might be like confusion. Like you have no idea what this is. This might be the very first time you're hearing that word. And what it means just in short is that one day a week, we take uh, off from working and instead we focus in on living differently and focus in on God, our relationships, and all the goodness and gratitude and generosity that he has given to us. That's what Sabbath is about. So for some people, your first reaction just might be confusion. For other people, I think your first reaction is likely quite negative. Because for some of you, and I know that you're out there, some of you have grown up in a culture and in a space where the Sabbath was practiced, but it was practiced so much more about being almost negative of all the things that you can't do on the Sabbath, of all the things you aren't allowed to do. It was almost like there was no fun. There was no TV, there was no shopping. And if you're on vacation, how many people had this? Because I did too. If you're on vacation, like you can't skip church. So you end up having to go to some random church that you've never been to because that matters. Anybody else have that experience other than me growing up? That's, that's some of you, how you experienced Sabbath. It was more about what you can't do than actually what you should be doing. Others of you, I think as soon as I say the word uh, practicing Sabbath as a way to connect with God, others of you might have the reaction that that might sound nice, but it might seem a little bit outdated because our lives are so busy. They're so full of like notifications and all these things that are going on that actually taking one day to rest and to pause and to move away from that, it might just seem almost impossible or even antiquated. I was telling Asher about what I was speaking on this week. Asher has a habit of coming up to me almost every day and saying, Dad, what are you teaching people about God today? Dad, does anybody trust in Jesus newly today? He just wants to know what's kind of going on and what I'm doing. And so he snuggled up to me as I was writing the sermon. He said, so what are you teaching people, Dad? I said, I'm teaching people the importance of taking a day off, of Sabbath, of what it is. And he turns to me and he says, but Dad, like, aren't you supposed to teach people something more important than just taking a day off? Like, aren't you supposed to be teaching something more important than just that? And... I think for some of us, that might even be our reaction with this. You might be saying to yourself, but isn't there something more important to be talking about? And isn't there more something more important than just taking a day off? And that's honestly some of the attitude I hope to maybe shift or even to change. Because follow with me, the Sabbath 
if you understand it biblically, is not just about taking a day off. That is not what the Sabbath is about. The Sabbath is not just about taking a day off. It's actually about living differently for a day. And that small distinction really, really matters. That the Sabbath is not just about taking a day off. It's about living differently for a day. And here's why this matters. Because if the Sabbath is just about like not working, if it's just about you know, taking a day off, then this topic, this practice, actually doesn't affect all of us. Because for many of you, some of the problem isn't just taking a day off, it's actually finding a day of work, right? For some of you, if you have young kids at home, a day off sounds beautiful, but it also sounds like unrealistic. For some of you, if you've been laid off, you're not really worried about a day off, you're worried about when you're being called back to work. Or for some of you as well, if you're retired, you might be wondering, how does this apply to you? Well, this is why I think we have to be really clear that right off the beginning, when I'm talking about Sabbath, it is not just about not working. It is about living differently for a day. It's about entering into a new rhythm, a new way of actually experiencing the world. It is about pausing for a day to realize that there is something deeper and better and bigger going on. And this is something that I do think actually affects us all. So today I want to explore with you this idea of Sabbath, how we can practice it, what it means, and how it can absolutely change your life. And to do that, I want to actually begin kind of right in the beginning, in Genesis 1 and 2. So if you have your Bibles, open them up there so that we can talk about Sabbath and what it means and how we can practice it. And I want to begin reading in uh, Genesis 1 and 2. So in Genesis 1 and 2, what we discover is that God is really teaching us about why and how we were created. Now, I know that for some of you this might sound shocking, but occasionally, occasionally Christians like to debate. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. And one of the passages that many Christians often debate is Genesis 1 and 2. They talk a lot about how the world was created historically and scientifically. But what I think is sometimes sad is that amidst those debates, what we often miss is that Genesis 1 and 2 isn't just about what God did like way back then. What it's actually about is how we live today. God is actually giving us some design patterns in our lives to be following here today. It's not just about what happened then, but it's actually about how we can live here today. And that's kind of how I want to enter into this passage, learning about how we can live today. So I want to read to you, uh, starting off in Genesis 2, about how God created on the seventh day, what he does on the seventh day. And so we read this. And so the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. That on days one through six, God created like animals, fish, people, and it says that it's all been completed. And on the seventh day, it says this, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. So God does all this work, and then he rests. And God blessed the seventh day, and he declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. Now, you may not realize this, but in Genesis 1 and 2, it's actually all poetry. It's all poetic. And in poetry, there is what's called like structure, like rhythm. There's a cadence to it, right? And Genesis 1 and 2 has this. There's phrases that are repeated that kind of give this momentum to this poem that is, you know, shared in Genesis 1 and 2. Phrases like, and there was evening, and there was morning, and it's the next day. But what you want to pay attention to in poetry, especially, is whenever, like, the structure shifts, whenever the cadence stops, whenever it kind of alters, this is the way of the author saying, like, pay attention to this point. And that happens on day seven. In days one through six, there's this kind of repetitious thing that continues to go on. There's this rhythm to it, and it all alters in day seven, which is as if the author is telling us, pay attention to this part. This part really, really matters. And so we read this. On the seventh day, God finished his work of creation, so he rested from all of his work. The author wants us to pay attention to these passages, to these words, to this text. And it says this, and God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. Now, as always, there is so much more in this little, tight, little passage um, that I could preach on that we're not going to get into today. What you should notice right off the bat is one thing we can say 100% is that work is holy, right? 
Like work is good, work is meaningful, because what does it say? It says that God finished the work of creation. So anything God does is holy and good. So if God's involved in work, it's also okay for us. Work is something that matters, and it creates beauty and meaning in our lives. And this is a sermon for another day, but there will be work actually in heaven as well. We actually have callings and vocations. This stuff matters. It continues, actually. But that's, as I said, a sermon for another day. But today what I want to point out here is really how God rests, right? And what we should realize, this should be pretty obvious, is that God rests not because he is tired, not because he doesn't have any more energy. Like, that's what we do, right? Like, we so often in our culture, we just go full out and then we crash and we binge watch like Netflix or whatever else for forever. But that's not what's going on here. God intentionally pauses. God intentionally rests. And what he's doing is setting up a pattern for us to follow, a rhythm for us to follow, something uh, that we need to be doing in our everyday lives. And this can actually shape and change our lives. And so to explain how he's doing this and why this matters, I want to take a look at today two words that are in this passage, the word holy and the word rest, to try to understand this pattern that Jesus and that God is really giving to each of us to follow. So I want to start first with talking a little bit about the word holy. Now, the word holy in Hebrew, it's the word kadosh. And what holy means is really to separate things. That's what it is, to separate things that are normal and to separate things into sacred, right? It's about making something like extraordinary and meaningful and purposeful. It's really about taking something and saying, this is different than ordinary. This is different than everyday, right? And in theology, there's something called the principle of first mention. And what this means, that's a big term for something that's pretty simple, and I'm sure you'll, you'll get it right away, is that the first time something is mentioned in the Bible, it sets the context, the contours, or the trajectory for how that idea or concept is used throughout the rest of the Bible. So what it means is, is that when something is first mentioned, we should pay attention to it. And here, actually, in this text, is the very first time this idea or this word holy is ever used. And holiness is a big theme throughout the entire Bible, right, throughout the entire narrative that leads us to Jesus. And here it's the very first time that holy is ever used that we read of this. And what I find is really interesting is that the first thing that is named as holy isn't a thing at all. Follow with me. Let's read this. This is what it says in the text. And God blessed the seventh day, and he declared it holy. Right? This is the first time the word holy has ever come up. It says, and God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was a day when he rested from all of his work of creation. And here's the first thing that God ever declares as holy isn't actually a thing at all. It's a day. It's a period of time. It's not an object. And this is, honestly, I can't overemphasize how important and in some ways surprising this is. Because in most religious traditions, and I'm talking here in generalizations, like across the board, in most religious traditions, the thing that is named as holy is actually things, like stuff, places, that kind of thing. If you grew up, you know, maybe going to church in my generation, how many of you ever had this happen? I can remember being told to not run in church, right? I'd be running around and my parents would be like, you can't run in church, right? Anybody ever had that experience other than, <laughs> than me, right? This was because, like, church was seen as a holy building in a holy place. I mean, there is some also problems with the idea that kids can't run in church as if God doesn't love kids having fun and joy, you know, a part of that. But it's because um, when we think of holiness, it most often gets attached to people, places, or things, like to stuff, right? But here... Here, that is not what the Bible says. The first thing that is named as holy isn't a thing at all, but actually a period of time. Abraham Joshua Heschel, he points out how incredibly important this is. And he is probably one of the, the most important Jewish thinkers of the 20th century. He writes this. He says, one of the most distinguished words in the Bible is the word kadosh. He's right, holy. He says this, a word which more than any others is representative of the mystery and the majesty of the divine. Now, what was the first holy object in the history of the world? Was it a mountain, he asked? Was it an altar? No, it is applied to time. This is a radical departure from accustomed religious thinking. The mystical mind would expect that after in heaven and earth had been established, what God would create would be a holy place. 
right? That's what he's saying. What we'd expect was after all of creation was established that God would create a holy place, but that isn't what he does. He continues, he says this, whereupon a sanctuary be established, yet it seems as if to the Bible, it is holiness in time, the Sabbath, which comes first. That it's holiness in time that comes first. It's holiness as a day that matters first. So what this means is, if we want to follow God well, if we want to be holy people, we actually need to create and to keep holy time. This is the very first thing that is ever mentioned as holy. This is what we're called to do, to actually follow God in this pattern of resting and creating one day as a holy day. And for me, this pattern and this practice has been something that has allowed me to actually start to experience God in every day. That when I name one day as a special holy day, all the other days I become more open to discovering God throughout the rest of my day and throughout the rest of my week. So God declares one day as holy, and then he tells us what we should do, right? that we should rest. I want to explain a little bit about what that means and how we can keep the day holy by resting. So we read this. It says, And God blessed the seventh day, and he declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. And in Hebrew, the word here that's translated rest is Shabbat. And rest is a really good translation for that word. But if you know more than two languages, what you know is that sometimes when you're translating words from one language to another, what gets lost is not the direct kind of translation. What gets lost is almost like the feeling of the word. It's almost maybe the contours or the context of the word. It's some of the other language parts that all of a sudden kind of drop away. And so for the biblical mind, when we talk about rest, um, it is not primarily about just not working. I think when we think about West, uh, rest in the West, we are a really work-obsessed culture. So we just think about resting as not working. But that's not what it is in the biblical mind. In the biblical mind, what the word Shabbat really means, it's about stillness. It's about harmony. It's about shalom. It's about joy and being present to God and to one another and all that's going on. A really great biblical picture of rest and Shabbat, of what's going on in this passage, is actually found in the Lord's, um, and the Lord's, not the Lord's prayer, but actually the Lord's shepherd, where we talk about the Lord is my shepherd. He causes me to lie down in green pastures, right? To lie down beside still waters. This is a beautiful picture of what rest actually looks like, where you're being guided by God, where you're resting, you're in a place of abundance, green pastures, where you ha don't have any concerns and God is with you and before you. This is what rest really looks like. In fact, in uh, later rabbinic Judaism, this idea of rest you want to know what it gets tied to? It gets tied to eternal life. That when rabbis would talk about rest, they would say it's like eternal life. It becomes a synonym for eternal life. That rest is about us being open to God around us, to creation, to all that is going on, and being so grateful and being so appreciative of all the goodness that is happening. This is what it means to rest. It's not just about not working. It is so much deeper and bigger and better than that. It is being grateful for all the connections you have. It's about looking on the past week and seeing how God has been active. It's about looking forward in the next week to how God might continue to be active in your life. It's about pausing for one day to really be present to all God and all that's within you and around you. And I've just found that this practice of actually pausing has made a massive change within my life. Because I don't know about you, but what I would say for me, is that when I let each week kind of rush into the next, when there is no break between one week or the other, what ends up happening is I actually start to reap the benefits, not the benefits, the actual difficulties of not moving according to God's plan for my time. Because if you notice with me, when God creates this rhythm, this pattern of Sabbath, right? When does he do it? He does it pre-sin, pre-fall, before anything is brokenness, before there's any difficulty in the world at all. 
So if God, when he created the universe, believed that even in the goodness of the Garden of Eden, even in the beauty and the abundance of the Garden of Eden, that we still needed to work six days and then pause for one, I think we need that more than ever in our lives. I think we need to get into this rhythm and this habit of not just rushing from one thing to the next. Our culture, what it does is it teaches us that what matters most is achievement and more and more and more. But what the Sabbath teaches us is that one day a week we should pause and be grateful for all that we've been given. Be grateful for how God is a part of our lives and to actually seek to live differently one day a week. So what is my main point today? My main point is just this, that if, if you really want to discover God in your everyday, I think it begins by starting to find him in one specific, special, unique day. I think it means us actually taking the Sabbath seriously. And so for me, what I want to say really clearly is my main point is just this, that practicing the Sabbath matters, that I think you should do this. I think you should try this. I think you should enter into this, that practicing the Sabbath matters, that if God sets up this pattern, we should follow it, that if God, after he had created and done all this beautiful work of all the creation we see, pauses and rests for one day, we should be doing the same. We should be following him in this. And when I say pause and rest, it's not just about not working. It's about living differently with a different rhythm, about entering into harmony and joy and shalom and stillness and gratefulness for all that God has for us. So this is my main point today, that just practicing the Sabbath matters. So when Asher came to me and he said, hey, Dad, shouldn't you be teaching people something more important than this? I actually said, but I, I actually don't think there's a ton more important than this. This really matters. This is how God has designed us to live, where one day a week we really focus in on our relationships with one another and with God and with all that's around us. I said that this can change your life. This can change how you live. And I know that because it's actually changed mine. So today, what's my challenge? Well, it's going to be pretty obvious. I want to challenge you to actually to practice the Sabbath, to give this a go, to give this a shot if it's new for you, and explain how to do that. I want to share with you at least a little bit of my own journey with practicing the Sabbath, because this isn't something I've always done. When Chris and I were first married, and we were, I was uh, you know, a pastor back then as well, and I was first starting, um, I think there was one word uh, to kind of describe me. I was a little bit addicted to work. Like, I worked all the time. I had no rhythm. I had no pattern. I would work until exhaustion, and then I'd probably watch movies staying up way too late at night. Sometimes I remember I'd feel this stress, and I'd wake up in the middle of the night and get up and work more just to get more stuff completed. It was really bad and unhealthy. And I started to realize that it was, you know, not very good, but I didn't know how else to live. And then I read something that changed my mind. Um, now, if you ever want to change my mind, honestly, like, don't send me a blog post, send me a book. That's how, my, that's how my mind gets changed. And I read a book called The Sabbath that I've already read from by Abraham Joshua Heschel. It was the first time I read this. And he explored some of the beauty of the Sabbath and how it's something we're actually called to live into and how it's not antiquated and outdated. It's something needed for today. And I remember reading this passage. I want to read it to you. And it actually really shaped how I see things and how I was living differently. He says this, to gain control of the world of space is certainly one of our tasks. Right? To gain control of the world of space, stuff, things, is certainly one of our tasks. He says this though, the danger begins when in gaining power in the realm of space, we forfeit all aspirations in the realm of time. Because remember, the first thing that was declared holy is time. He says this, there's a realm of time, and I just love this, there's a realm of time where the goal is not to have, but to be where the goal is not to give, or where the goal is not to own, but to give, not to control, but to share, not to subdue, but to be in accord. He says this, he says, life goes wrong when the control of space, the acquisition of things of space become our sole concern. And I just, that just spoke to me so much where he said, there is a realm of time where the goal is not to have, but to be, where the goal is not to own, but to give, not to control, but to share. I realized I was missing that. I was just focusing in on the, you know, the realm of space. I was just trying to do more and more and more. That's what I was seeking to do. Because for me, 
when I was doing more and more and more, it was covering up some of my own insecurities. It was causing me to become, I thought, better because I could you know, do more and achieve more and it would cause me to feel better about myself. It was actually hiding so much stuff that God needed to work in. And this passage, it convinced me that I needed to change, that I needed to try a different way of living, of making even time holy. So here's how I did that. I want to encourage you, if this is new for you, to practice the Sabbath, to try these two same steps. The first thing I did was to try to carve out time, and then I had to decide how am I going to fill that time. So I tried to carve out time and, try, and then try to fill time. So I tried to carve out a day where I would actually practice the Sabbath. And this was incredibly hard for me. It was incredibly odd. I felt like I was being inefficient. I felt like the first time I had a Sabbath, like I was just, I don't know, I felt useless because I was so addicted to busyness and to work and to things that pausing felt so unnatural. Um, but I decided I was going to give it a go. So what I did was I turned off notifications on my email. I stopped kind of checking emails and all of those sort of things. I know for some of you, if you're like small business owners or whatever, um, this can be difficult to even imagine. But what I realized for me is that as a, as a leader, as somebody who was seeking to even lead my church at that point, is that if I design a system where I'm needed every day of the week, that's a bad system, actually. So I decided I'm going to really try to practice this. And one day a week, I carved out that space. And then what I tried to do is figure out how am I going to actually fill it? And I started to think about what is healthy, what is good, what is joyful about um, that I can add into it. Because remember, this isn't just about not working, it's about living differently. So for me, some of the things I started to add in was to actually you know, take an hour and read just quietly with a cup of coffee. This was hugely beneficial to me. This is also the period when I started to actually learn how to cook. Because what I decided then was every Sabbath, I would learn to cook a brand new meal and Crystal looked forward to Sabbath as well. Because every single Friday night, that was the day I would take off. Every single Friday night, we'd cook something new. This is also the day, this might sound funny, but again, remember, it's not about working. This was the day where I would cut the grass. Because in my job, um, there's not many days where I go home and I think to myself, there's nothing else I can do. And I love cutting the grass and just seeing the instant change. So for me, this was something I added in because it was healthy. It made me feel joy. It made me feel good. Uh, it was something I actually felt rested through doing, right? Because it's not about working. It's about living differently. And of course, these rhythms that we started to add into our lives, uh, they changed over the years, especially as kids came along. Um, reading became more difficult with young kids. So then we created the idea of uh, once uh, every Sabbath, we would actually walk to Tim Hortons and get Timbits as a family. That's what we did. Uh, now, I don't so much actually cook a brand new meal every Friday um, because what we do instead is our kids love to make homemade pizza and then we watch a movie together. This is our, our, our new kind of rhythm. I think Sabbath is something you continue to grow into. It's something you continue to get better at. It's something you continue to try to, in some ways, almost perfect, right? So even when we moved down here, uh, I decided I wanted to lean into Sabbath a little bit more, especially with our kids, especially with our families. So we created this thing where now um, on Sabbath, what we do is we light a candle and I pray a blessing over each of our children. Uh, they come and we kind of recite our three family rules. In our family, we have three rules. They are that God and mom and dad love you no matter what. They are that kindness matters. And they're also that we work hard to love one another and love each other. And so we gather, we light a candle, and I would pray a blessing over each kid. Now, I believe in being vulnerable and honest. Like, it's not like this is magical every single time, right? That's not how Sabbath works. It's not as if it is all of a sudden beautiful every single time. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes there are fights as we're lighting the candle. Sometimes as we're reciting like our family rules, uh, you know, a child would be like, yes, kindness matters. Eden, because you've been a jerk to me or whatever else it is. Or there's times where I'm like, can you guys just please sit down so we can have this wonderful moment together, right? Which, of course, ruins the moment. The point with Sabbath is that it's a rhythm we're called to enter into. It's a habit we're starting to try to practice and that the beauty of it is seen not in a day, it's over weeks and over months that even these practices now have such meaning and depth to them. Again, Abraham, Joshua, Heschel, because I can barely, um, I don't know, uh, improve upon anything that he writes. He says this. He says, labor is a craft. Perfect rest is an art. 
And that's what I want to invite you into, the art of trying to create that in your own life. And I know it can be hard if you have shift work. I know it can be hard if you have like no work. I know it can be hard if you have young kids at home. But I think that this pattern matters because this pattern was created way back in the beginning that was meant to actually continue on forever. That's how it was meant, right? That's what the beginning of Genesis teaches us, how we were meant to live. So I want to invite you into practicing the Sabbath. So what's my challenge this week? It's just this. Would you practice the Sabbath? And a great way to begin is to think through, first, how can you carve out some time if you're new to this? And then secondly, what can you fill it with? What can you fill it with that is good and holy and healthy and joyous and fun and full of harmony and goodness? We often have people over on our Sabbath because that is a good thing, to actually connect with others and to be present to other people. I want to invite you to start to practice this. And if it's your first time ever trying this, it's going to be hard. It'll feel weird. It'll feel disjointed and difficult. But it'll, trust me, it'll matter over the time. So what I want to invite you into is to actually practice this. And as we move forward in this series, you know, what comes next? What I've just found for me is that taking one day a week to be especially present to God and to my family and to my friends, it has altered every other day of the week. And if I want to find uh, Jesus throughout the week, I found that practicing the Sabbath has been such a crucial and an amazing aid to that. So this is my challenge for you. Would you practice the Sabbath? Would you try to carve out some time? And then would you actually think through what can you fill that time with? And if you've already been in the habit of this, I want to invite you, maybe just do it deeper. Because as Hashel said, perfect rest is an art. We never kind of get it perfect. So let's continue to work at it. Let's think about what can we add into this? How can we make it deeper, more connected with God, one another, and all the gifts that he has given to us? I want to take this passage just incredibly seriously, that when God rests, that we're called to follow in that. And it's not just about working, uh, not working. It's about actually living differently. And I want to invite you to try that one day a week. Would you live differently so that then you can see God throughout the rest of your week? And with that, would you join with me in prayer today? God, I just ask, would you continue to lead us in this? Lord, I know that this can be difficult. It can be a new practice for some. But I pray, God, would we continue to experience all the beauty of resting and connecting with you and family and friends that there can be. I pray, God, that would you continue to actually encourage us in this. I pray, God, as we seek to enter into Sabbath, would it be true that it would be like a little taste of eternity for us? Would we actually be able to enjoy some of your harmony, stillness, and goodness that you have for us? And I pray you would lead us in this so that we can then discover you each and every day of the week. And I pray this all in your name. Amen and amen. Grace and peace. Bye-bye.